Welcome to the Fair Chase Podcast. It's like, yeah, it's going to be physically it's hard, suck, but, but it's also like the best. Later on, that's the story you tell. I got a new strategy. It's, you just go kind of lick your finger a little bit like this. Aim high, play the wind. And then you aim high, you play the wind. It's a new aiming technique that I'm working on. You brought this up. Yeah. It's because you had target panic so bad. Yeah, I didn't have it so bad. Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few companies that make this show possible. First up, Vortex Optics. We run their binoculars, spotting scopes, and uh, a lot of their clothes in their Vortex wear line. Quality hoodies. sweaters and hoodies, t-shirts, hats. Yep. You uh, can save yourself 20% on that stuff. Buy. Ooh, it's a new code. The code TFC20. Check them out. Next up, Trophy Line. Trophy Line. No secret, we are saddle guys. We like to hunt in saddles, make the jokes if you want, but yep. they're super light, super effective, and we're big fans of Trophy Line. This year we're going to be running the Mission Platform or the EDP Platform, the EDP. depending, and uh, running the Covert Light. Yeah. Nice and light saddle. Lots of good adjustability on that. I feel comfortable walking with that thing out in the woods. Go yep. check this thing out. Use the code TFC10 to save yourself 10% on the next purchase. Next up, Prime. The bow that got me to switch back. I think I feel like I got you to switch back. You did, but but I like. But it was it's a big because part. of Prime shootability, shooting your bow, their accuracy. Uh, we're big fans of Prime. They're Michigan company. Jared's shooting the Nexus Four. I'm shooting the Nexus Two this year. Go check them out. G5Prime.com. We uh, we're big GPS map users on our phone. Um, I get tend to get lost a lot, and Jared you do tend to get lost. A lot. Jared can't always be next to me. When you don't have Jared with you, you can have a little Jared in your pocket. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> this is an awesome platform. We know the guys. They're local here in Grand Rapids. And you can actually download other apps, stand locations, plot locations, whatever pins that you have, you can download them onto the HuntWise platform. So you're not, you can, give you it just, a try. You can just hit the ground. And you're not losing your research. Yeah. So go check this app out, HuntWise.com. You know, I was actually asked this weekend if we weren't partnered with Vector and like I had to shoot a different arrow would I shoot vectors? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I said, yes, of course. Yeah. I love them. I shoot extremely accurate with them. I've never broken one. Yeah. And the sweet thing was is you pretty much just tell Isaac and the guys over there your draw length, draw weight, and I think your tip weight. Your tip weight, and they have a – And then you customize the whole thing. And you they can do it right tip, online. cut, and everything. You don't have to mess with the bow shop or anything like that. Check these guys out, vectorcustomshop.com. For 10% off your order at checkout, use TFC10. Good luck out there. Shoot straight. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. Um, we've got Joe Griffin on the line, uh, but before we dive into the things we have planned, this is the beginning of a new series of podcasts that we are rolling out, um, and we figured no better guy to roll it out with than the man, the myth, the legend, Joe. 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 Uh, so over the next few weeks, months, um, we're going to be changing the format of the podcast where Rather than it being um, just kind of a longer format, a kind of a conversation about lots of things, it's going to be more direct uh, about stories. So we'll, we'll go into the person that we're having on the podcast, um, what they do, where they live, you know, the favorite hunt, we'll have a question of the month for them. And then they'll dive into what basically comes to mind when they think of hunting stories. So we've got the next few months uh, kind of lined up. Uh, and this is just based on some feedback we got. It sounds like um, some of the listeners like this stuff. So if you like it, let us know. If you don't um, and you hate it, let us know too, but be, be kind because Jared's uh, sensitive. He's a sensi. And 
so we we appreciate it. just let us know what you think so um to kick it off we wanted to bring joe on to talk about one of the epic hunts he's been on but joe before we dive into that you want to give every, you've been on the podcast before but you want to give like an overview of who you are um what you do how we know each other yeah um i'm joe griffin i'm from west michigan i'm 30 years old got a seven-year-old son um i've been hunting since i was 12 years old um that's when it was legal to start hunting in michigan when we were kids so um came from a non-hunting family and uh yeah it's been kind of like my everything ever since i started so um i work for uh elite outdoor sports we represent a number of different hunting and shooting brands in the industry most of my work is with steiner optics and i know these guys kind of through hunt wise and just we're both local i mean we're not too far from each other and james and i shared a hunt together this spring and uh shared a hunt with both these guys in kentucky last week so we've had good times in the woods we've had some good yeah. times i think there'll, there'll be more in the future that we, yeah. we've got a mm-hmm. we're, we're working on lining up here which i'm excited about absolutely very few people well you just find out about a lot about a guy when you hunt with them for a while um, and it could be good or bad. <clears throat> and, and I'm sure people who have listened have, have noticed that. And so we, we've gotten along pretty well and, and had a lot of fun. Uh, and some of the things we, <laughs> we have, the bear hunt was fun. And there's some stories about drinking wine and chopping up a bear that <laughs> apparently I'm a little lax with knife safety when I'm drinking a little wine and cutting up a bear in the kind it of back country. It doesn't even take wine. You're just, you just, I'm like at Edward Scissor's hands. It's like, and then he just yeah yeah whatever it's more like if you pictured someone trying to dice onions that's what james does when he's <laughs> skin a deer just ca, 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 ca. and then there goes a finger and blood and mixed with deer blood and it gives me ptsd every time i watch it the bottom side of that bear hide looked like he hit stones with a mower and just <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually gotten that one back yet. I don't know what it'll look like. It's, it's going to be like Swiss cheese. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, like the backside of a manatee if the, after a prop hits it. just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Just uh, like that. Anyways. That come to mind when I think about that bear hide. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, guys. All right. Back. You're getting me derailed already. I'm supposed to keep these things in time. Um, all right. So, Joe. Um, you, you've done a lot of hunts uh, and one in particular that we're going to talk about today, but if you had to pick like favorite hunt, favorite style of hunt that you would, that you just, when you think of like the, uh, like the most fun thing to do, what comes to mind? And just to, to give you some examples, we've talked to guys who said, you know, still hunting on a, uh, after a fresh snow um, in the late season, some have talked about different types of bear hunting. There's just tons of things like what comes to mind for you uh, when, when we talk about like favorite hunt. I think for myself personally, um, I think obviously like my favorite hunts are like ones that I do with people that I love or whatever, like any, any hunt with my son is going to be number one, but for myself personally, my favorite style is any time where I can get up in the morning, glass something up and then make a really big move on it to put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, any, anything that involves big moves, I'm all about the whole, uh, sitting still for a long time is I do it a lot. Obviously we live in the Midwest and we whitetail hunt a lot, but if, if it was up to me, I would just run all over chasing them around. Yeah. Yeah. That was, what was so fun about that bear hunt. We could a lot, a lot of like macro moves. Yeah. You know, 
but even that is still kind of like you get to a point and you're you're kind of looking in one area kind of thing yeah. for the day and um like rifle elk hunts the one right here actually is probably one of my favorite elk hunts just because it was big moves so yeah yeah it's awesome all right um next then you're leading this off mm. um so the question of the month and we've actually asked this when we first started the podcast this was our go-to question um just because it's kind of a fun one it gets it gets to know somebody like an icebreaker but thinking about your pack like like mentally thinking about all the things that are rolling around in your pack what's the most useless piece of gear that you're it's in your pack right now something that you know you probably should have just left home but you you always have it with i mean the most unused piece of gear that i've had in my pack knock on wood is my med kit i really haven't used that thing that much so i don't want to say it's useless but um i haven't touched it in a couple of years um aside from that in my lid i keep um the first elk ivories that i've ever shot um a note that chase wrote me when he was three and then there's an arrowhead that i found on a hunt in texas that stays all in this little ziploc baggie so that's um, cool yeah i mean mm -hmm. it's useless but it's always there so no i i bring stuff like that with me um because sometimes you're like you're out and you're like tired or you're just kind of down and out or something some, you're just kind of you're broken a little bit and it's like if you can like I'll bring a, I've got a stuffed animal D bring D always shoves in my backpack when I'm leaving. And so like, I have no idea. And then I'll get there and it's this pink rabbit. Right. And so yep. I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm bringing it. So I bring it every time I go, it was with me in Kentucky. It was with me in, uh, when we were bear hunting and every once in a while, it's like, that's kind of nice to look at, you know? Yeah. Mine is a little, you, you can't even read it anymore. He cut a heart out of a piece of printer paper and wrote something on it in pink highlighter. <laughs> and it's so faded now like it just looks like a um it's just a white heart now that right has, i don't can't i'm drawing a blank on what it's called uh, um basically like we taped it so it can't get wet kind of thing oh like laminate laminated. Uh, yeah why am i struggling to think of laminate but yeah oh. we laminated it so that it wouldn't go bad <laughs> no so, i love that yeah. no it's that you know what it's not useless but i it, it i get what you mean there's no like very like practical use for it you know, right. it's more of a it. mental thing. And honestly, some of those things are probably just as practical as med kit sometimes yeah. if you, if you get into some nasty shit or something like that. So yeah. yeah. Mindset's huge. No, that's, that's, that's great. No, that's a great one. All right, Joe. Um, so talk to me about like when I, when you think of hunting stories, um, like a hunting story, a great hunting story, like what comes to mind? Tell me your story. Which one are we getting into here? I Ooh, think we get into here. Joe's choice, but I would love to hear about the sheep. I would like I to hear about the sheep too. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I it's every hunter's like dream hunt. So I don't know if we were leading directly into that or like what I thought was into a, a great hunting story, but yeah, that's, that one's definitely. We'll get into that. List. So yeah. Um, yeah. This whole situation kind of started, I mean, I'm to kind of back up a little bit. I'm 30. I'm not inherently wealthy or anything like that. Um, I live in Michigan. So a sheep hunt in Alaska is something that I didn't really think was kind of in the cards for me for another five, six, seven years, depending on how things go. Um, these hunts cost five digits. So um, came into a really stupid lucky situation with HuntWise and Worldwide Trophy Adventures and got this opportunity to go on this sheep hunt way earlier in life than what I would have expected. Um, so kind of 
finding out that this was actually going to take place was like December, I think, December, January of the year prior. And kind of had this anticipation building up, but it still didn't feel real. It still had like these things going in the back of my head, like oh, this actually isn't going to happen. We're kind of getting excited about this and I'm not sure that it's actually going to be real right. or something's going to fall through or Alaska was talking about closing units for a while for non-residents because of sheep populations and all this crazy stuff that kind of inhibited me from getting it too, too excited because I'm like, at some point this, the rug's going to get pulled out from underneath this. And it got closer and it got closer and it got closer. And it's like, man, this is actually going to happen. We couldn't find a camera guy. Then we found an awesome camera guy. Got the travel stuff lined up. And yeah, so it all kind of just fell into place perfectly. There was a, a cancellation that opened up this opportunity for us to hunt, which never happens for sheep. I mean, people have been waiting for years to go on these things. So when they book it, they they don't pass it up. Right. So, um, yeah, we, we took off August uh 18th our first day of hunting was on the 20th flew out of grand rapids here and uh landed in anchorage and we had a night over in anchorage where we kind of got all our stuff rounded up and uh met max benz for the first time uh he was our camera guy in this hunt awesome dude super you, you would love him um met up with him immediately went and had some beers to kind of get to know each other before we lived in a tent together for the next 10 days mm-hmm and uh, went grocery shopping at the local, I don't even know what it's called in Alaska. I think it's called Cars. It's like their version of a Meyer. Mm-hmm. And um, we're grabbing like snacks and stuff like that for the hunt and some Snicker bars and just random things for calories. And he sees this wolf t-shirt and we both kind of like looked at it and looked at each other and like, dude, we got to buy that. I don't know why. <laughs> and from that point forward, I was like, this is my kind of people, like just to find some humor and something as silly as this, like white trash looking Travis trip wolf t-shirt. Like you'd see some dude at Casino wearing, but it <laughs> just automatically hit it off with him over this, this wolf t-shirt. So, um, we, uh, got up the next morning. We were supposed to fly out, I think at eight or 10 AM, something like that, weather permitting. And it's kind of one of those things where, like you're once once you're at the airfield you're completely on the mercy of the weather you just basically hang there and as soon as you have clearance to go you hop in the bird and you go so you're flying from where to where we were flying from anchorage to uh an airstrip that was decommissioned by the military or put together in like the 40s i think and really isn't used for anything other than this outfit so is that just question about that a couple questions uh is that like i, I know like a fog knack my grandpa was stationed there mm-hmm. um and so they had that base which is closed down now in response like after world war ii kind of having like a defense against the russians is that like the same idea for, for that strip i believe so yeah <laughs> so it's the the closest city it, that it would be around is Nikolai. I think it's 60 miles from Nikolai. So it's the Western side of the Alaska range. Okay. Yep. And once we flew out there, we, we had pretty good weather getting up out of Anchorage. And then we just hit fog where we could see like going over Nick Bay and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it was just, you can't see a thing, nothing. It's just mm-hmm. white. Everything's white. He's going completely off the instruments in the, in the aircraft. So I was kind of getting nervous. And it was a weird kind of turbulence once we got up into there that I've never experienced. Usually it's like these bumps. Yeah. It was a side to side thing. So it wasn't up and down bumps. It was. Don't like that. Don't don't like that. 
I know I was getting white in the face and like not not digging it. <laughs> it didn't bother Max a bit. He was laughing at me, but I think everyone in that plane has been in one of those types of planes before, except for me. So okay. Um, once we got out of that fog and into the clouds, like we could see Denali, and we kind of got above the weather a little bit, and it was just like holy cow! Like when you see that thing for the first time, it is breathtaking. But when you're above it or eye level with it, and it's poking through the clouds by a lot, it's it's really something to see. That's sweet. It, I think it's called the Great One, or Denali means the Great One in yeah. tongue. It's like I freaking see why it is. I've seen a lot of mountains and there is nothing like that. A fact about Denali that I learned because I, I was, when I was there, uh, I, I was looking, obviously that was like one of the things I wanted to see. Like I want to see the great one. Right. Or as many still refer to it, uh, the, uh, Mount McKinley, yeah. uh, the, the interesting fact about, uh, uh Denali is that <clears throat> there actually, it could maybe be considered the tallest mountain in the world because Everest is on the plateau, the Tibetan plateau, which, already raises it a bunch and then it peaks and turns into a mountain but uh denali is straight up mountain from a much lower level like and so yeah so the elevation that we're at right now and it goes up to twenty thousand four hundred and six. yeah yeah Everest is what 26 or something but it starts at 14 or I, those yeah up, yes it, it is and that's why when people go into base camp there it's like a thing it's like it takes a while to get up to the base camp to right. then go to summit anyway. So I thought that was interesting and it's, you're right. Like I can't imagine seeing it in flight. We, we, we saw it once time when the one time when the, the clouds cleared, which is kind of, kind of rare, I guess there, but um, to see it in a plane would be unbelievable. Dude, it's unbelievable. And it's kind of like, there's, there's a lot of like really cool stuff that I've seen before, like some big peaks in, in Montana and Colorado and Wyoming and that are 10, 12, 14,000 feet tall, but they're all part of this, like, string of mountains that are comparable to them there's not this just one obvious thing other than like a lone peak in montana yeah but this thing is like it's so different than anything that i've ever experienced when you're looking at it it's like it doesn't belong there it's so big compared to everything else it's amazing so we we fly over that and then we kind of immediately get once we go over top of this thing we're into the unit that we're hunting at that point and um, we start losing some elevation. We start hitting some turbulence. And I'm looking down at all this stuff that we're going to be hunting in. And it's like, this is, this is the real deal. I've, I've hunted a lot of mountains and stuff, but I've never seen anything like this. It's just everything is sharp. Everything is rocky. Everything is rigid. It's just wicked looking. So yeah, we go down over top of that. And we kind of make this big turn going out over kind of like this tundra-y, tussocks-y looking stuff. little bit different than what you probably saw up there it was more kind of like brushy and um take a hard turn and set this plane is like inverted on the side swinging around and i look down and i see this gravel bar that he's gonna put this thing down on and i see two military trucks at the end of it and people standing there waiting for us kind of thing i'm like he's gonna land this thing on this little gravel strip sure enough he did he put it right down and uh we hopped out and there's this six wheel truck that has this canvas cover over the back. This just huge military yeah. machine. Um, they call it the Kong or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure who makes it. It's this giant diesel truck with. Yeah. Like a military seven ton. 
something. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it sounds right. You would know better than me on that stuff. But they, surprisingly enough, they dropped that thing off of the plane as well, which blew my mind. Um, really? Yeah. I had in, in parts and pieces, I guess. I don't know. Everything that gets delivered out there, snowmobiles, quads, everything like that comes on little planes and parts and pieces and they put them together. Um, and then there was two 1940s Dodge power wagons there, which were the coolest freaking thing. Um, all this was left there from military efforts and kind of just staged there throughout the years. And now they use them as outfitting trucks. So sweet. Yeah, that's really sweet. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And so you're saying these are trucks that are like 80 years old. Yeah. The, the Kong one, I don't think was that old, but the two Dodges were like, it was the, the hood opens up on a hinge from both sides. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all the glass, like the windshields held on with like a caught gun kind of. Uh, yeah. All right. I love that. The, the Alaskans, man, they're, they just do things, you know, like they're not the most common people I have ever met. Like when we got there, they were working on stuff and there was a, a wheel bearing that went out on one of the six wheel quads and they're sitting there with like a giant freaking mallet and a two by four beating this wheel bearing <laughs> off like oh well we don't have another wheel bearing for this but we can pull it off of this and jimmy it into this to make it work and the rats just crapping shit back and forth and like yeah this will work this will get us through moose season at least until we can get some parts and stuff and i'm just I'm <laughs> the, the guy that runs the outfit that we hunted with is the um, I don't know what I guess the, the proper word for him, but he's the guy that cuts the trail for the Iditarod. So he leaves Wait. he leaves a month before the Iditarod race starts and runs that whole thing from what is it, Anchorage to Juno? Nome, Nome, Nome. yeah, yeah. Juno to Nome <clears throat> and runs the whole thing on a snowmobile marking trail. And he's like, I've had times where I've had to fix a snowmobile in the middle of nowhere, like a bogey wheel freezes up or something goes wrong. And you got to have all those parts with you and know how to do it and frigid temperatures. And they're just keeping your head about you. Yeah. Keeping your head about you. Probably, oh, what is the, a smooth brained ape like myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So we get there and start loading stuff into all these trucks. And um, the sheep hunters that we were there the second week of sheep season. So um, there was three or four sheep hunters that were coming out as we were coming in. And it was a lot of really sad eyes and tired spirits getting on that plane. Really? I didn't see any sheep getting loaded on that plane. Um, And they weren't real chatty. So (laughs) kind of like, oh boy, it's just going to be rough. So. we get in these trucks and there's two camps. There's this, the river that we're basically driving up into this drainage. Um, there's two camps. There's the moose camp, the lower camp that they call it. And then there's the sheep camp that's way up at the top. And there's wall tents and little kind of makeshift cabins at both of these. So one of the other hunters that was on our flight in had a drawn bison tag for this unit. There's bison there. So I didn't even know there was bison in that part of the world. I think they brought them there, if I'm not mistaken. I really? not, not this area. I think these ones are actual like really free range. I mean, they're all wild and free range, but I think right. we're native bison. So awesome, just wicked. So they had a bison tag. Um, they were getting dropped off at the moose camp. The bison are lower. 
um, and then myself and another sheep hunter were getting dropped off at the sheep camp. So we uh, drive these trucks through this river and it's, it's a branch of a main river on the west side of the Alaska range. So it's just flowing blue Arctic water. And they're driving these trucks through them, like water coming through the floorboards kind of thing for 14 miles, just given it. It took us like two and a half, three hours to get from that airstrip up to where we were going to start our hunt essentially. So the drive up there is beautiful. We're running over moose sheds the whole time. I think we picked up like 13 moose sheds between everyone. Yeah. You bring any home? I did not. The only one that I found personally was uh, a pretty small one that had been pretty bleached out and the bears chewed it up pretty good. So yeah. left it in the pile with everything else. They, I mean, <laughs> they have piles of moose sheds around there. So, um, but we, we kind of worked our way up there. We got there, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock at night and started unloading stuff and shot the rifle to make sure it was on. And then we got into this cabin and it was, it was super cool because there's like old writing on the walls that dates back to like, I don't know, we saw some stuff in there from the late 80s, early 90s about other hunts that people have done and they've written on the walls about their experience and stuff like that. That's so the whole time I'm just kind of looking over all this stuff and just soaking it in. Yeah. Talking plans with uh, John, the guide. And he's like, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, we're looking for kind of a needle in a haystack. There's lots of sheep here, but eight and nine years ago, 10 years ago, there was really bad storms. So those eight and nine year old sheep, or there's not very many of them here because most of them died during those storms. Um, mm. To put some context to that for people that don't know sheep hunting, um, doll sheep have to be eight years old or full curl, meaning they're horns come all the way around and they pass the crown of their nose or pass the, the base of their antlers. Basically they make a full circle or they're broomed off on both sides, meaning their lamb tips are broken off. That usually happens after eight years old. Um, so when you have a storm that kills a large percentage of the population eight, nine, and 10 years ago, there's not very many of those sheep. So um, he said it'd be hard hunting. It would take a lot of persistence to find one that hopefully fit that bill. So um, I was excited, but kind of going into it, I was like, man, this is, I was super thankful to be there, but I'm like this realistically, this is going to be tough. I don't know if it's actually going to transpire, right. which is still fine. I was just still tickled pink just to have the chance to go. Mm-hmm. Um, went to bed that night, didn't sleep very good just because I was so excited. And he's like, we'll just get up and um, get some breakfast in us, get some coffee in us because we won't be back here for a while kind of thing. So just kind of get your stuff rolling, but we, we don't need to race out of here. We just need to kind of get out sometime in the morning and start working our way up. And I've got crackhead energy on day one. So I'm yeah. like, screw that. Let's just go tonight. And we'll pack in there, get a little bit closer where we got to go kind of thing. He's like, you need to just chill out, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. The whole, the whole time, I should say, the, the guide, um, he's been guiding for like 20 years. He's in his mid forties. And his full-time job was keeping me from killing myself and like not <laughs> running off a cliff on day two. So he, he did a very good job of keeping me kind of grounded because if you've hunted with me and all that, that can get out of control sometimes. That's one of my favorite things about <laughs> hunting with you. Cause sometimes I, I know the crack cannon. I live off crack cannon energy. I know it. That's like, why we work well together. I, that's right. Except you need breaks. Cause like you said, you could die. 
sometimes you do something stupid when you're <laughs> so but yeah we got up that morning and put put our packs together got a bunch of food um i loaded up on water and he's like dude dump that freaking water out he's like i'll just fill up there because i'm always like one of those guys is like i i start with full water i yeah. don't care heavy like i'm taking water right like dump that shit out get water up there kind of thing so put on these neos which are like hip boots and started working up this draw straight off the back of the camp going up into the mountains there's just flowing glacial water coming down this thing and we probably get 500 yards from our camp and look up and there's a ramp like holy cow this is we're minutes into this thing and or an hour into this thing and we already see a ram put glass on him and he's like this flared out just impressive looking ram until he turns sideways and then you realize he's like this short of even being oh. close to legal i'm like damn if the five and six year olds look that big i mean the legal one's got to be something else so he's like yeah that one we can we can just keep walking we don't need to watch him for any longer he's obviously not legal like ah, i kind of want to watch him for a little bit let's just count him make sure he's not just a really short eight-year-old or something like right. that. But he uh, quickly talked me out of that and we kind of kept moving up. And as we kept moving up that drain, we got to a fork and it's, they call it camp right and camp left. And this feeds into a system that they call the wall. And he said, usually we don't go all the way to the wall because 90% of the sheep hunters that they have are realistically in their fifties to seventies. Right. So getting there is tough, but we had being young and able-bodied on our side. So we were like, we're starting at the far point and we'll work our way back. We uh, went up camp right, which is the, the drain to the right of the fork and got into kind of where we were getting out of the brush, getting out of the willows and getting into more sheepish looking country. And right when we got into that, we found a dead sheep that had been ripped up by a grizzly decently. Sweet. Um, so that was cool. Filled up on water there. They don't filter anything there. They don't carry a filter. Oh, really? Not a thing. And if anyone knows me, they probably know the story that I had Giardia and it put me in the hospital for a month. And it did? My, yeah, I had kidney, almost kidney failure. I still have issues with it. Um, I lost like 70 pounds and it turned into, yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> so I'm pretty serious about water being legit. Uh, I always carry a Steripen, but I followed suit with him. He's like, dude, I, I'm out here for two months every year. I've been drinking the same water forever. So just drank straight out of the old pipe. So um, wow. you say so. <laughs> yeah, no issues. I mean, I, I think it's been long enough now. I can say that I had no issues with it, but um, filled up on water. And we kept moving up this drain and we get up over this little saddle and it's like, I don't know, two, two o'clock, something like that. It's getting dark at 11. 10 or 11 and we peek up over this edge and he immediately just drops so i'm like all right i took my pack off and stuff and i look up at him and he's like there's sheep right here over top of the saddle so we kind of take everything off we get glass out and we're looking at him and there's four rams that are bedded on this little knoll and this is probably the tamest sheep country that we've seen sheep in at this point it's literally a little bit of rocks going up hitting the saddle, going down into the steep bowl. It's kind of grass covered in the first bottom third of it. And then it goes up into moderate cliff stuff, I'll say. And then above that is the real 
gnarly looking like Lord of the Rings shit. Um, but there was four sheep that were bedded just above the green that we were looking at and two above them that were lookout rams. And one thing that I noticed that's kind of cool about sheep is they always put one or two in a spot that can protect the rest of them. And they kind of like communicate with each other, like they'll nudge each other back and forth and kind of push one up or push one off to the side kind of thing. And, uh, so there was the four that were in the main group and they'd kick one up that would climb up into the cliffs and he'd just sit there and, and look the rest of them would sleep or they'd eat. They'd just drop their guard. But this one up on the top was always looking the sentry. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. So they'd, uh, they'd rotate that sentry ram out from time to time every hour or so it seems like a new one would go up there and then that one would come down and eat and it was a dynamic that i haven't seen in any other type of animal which is really wild but then we ended up just kind of picking these rocks apart and we found 11 11 rams in this one group and i'm thinking it's like dude it's two o'clock and we're, we found 11 rams one of these has to be legal or most of these have to be legal because they all look big so we're laying there and we have like no cover because it comes in this little knoll that rolls over the top and there's yeah. two little rocks on the very, very top of this that we belly crawled up behind. And it was like, you couldn't set up a, a tripod to look at these things. It was like, roll your head over top of it with the glass and just barely, barely, barely peek and then slowly come back down kind of thing because there was nothing covering you. And they have good eyesight? Incredible eyesight. Interesting. Yep. So we're looking at these sheep and for hours and i'm like john look at this one this one's got to be good no look at this one this one's got to be good kind of thing and after sitting there for like two hours of him not saying a word i'm like do any of them look good and he just kind of sat there and goes yeah there's one out of all these there's one and he's like he's in, he's in the original group of four i can count nine for sure he's definitely a full curl and nine but, are there are different sections of an of their horn that you can count right yeah, so if you look at a sheep, like as you work back, you can see different annuli rings, and it takes yeah. a trained eye to know exactly what because there can be false rings. There's there's times where it's just a dark spot that looks like a ring, and it really isn't. Um, yeah. So it, it does take a trained eye, and that was some of my ignorance going into this, where I was kind of like, I've never had a guide before, so I kind of like, what do I need one for this? I can count. I'm a big right. boy. But <laughs> the more that I looked at him, I'm like, man, that one's got to be good. And he's like, dude, he's not close. Like, oh, okay. Well, maybe it's good that you're here then. Cause there were a lot of sheep that were seven that were like probably this far from their chin and being full curl kind of thing. And uh, it'd be pretty easy to make a mistake if you didn't know what you were doing or really know what you're doing. Um, so we watched these things all day and there was, there was just no moving on them where they were, they were in a spot. They really couldn't get approached from our position anyway. And we looked at the topography, like there's gotta be something we can do. We pulled out the maps and just looking at it and we, we just didn't have anything that was a good play. Keep in mind it's day one. So we didn't want to bump these things out. Right. Like, at one point they got down, they were initially at like seven fifty, and I'm like setting my gun up and stuff and spinning dopes and trying to figure out how I could shoot them at seven fifty. And he's like, dude, he said something to me. He's like, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we found a legal ram on day one. He goes, we are never, lucky enough to find legal rams on day one he goes we're, okay. we're, we're in a good spot just kind of take a deep breath and enjoy this a little bit so i'm like all right 
he's like, I'm going to go work my way up this ridge a little bit and try to find another spot. Maybe we can drop in on him kind of thing. So he was gone for like an hour and a half and I'm watching these things. And then that legal one stands up and he starts losing elevation coming down, coming down his face. We've got a face and there's a bottom in between yep. us. And he stops at one point and he's at 428 yards. I'm like, God damn it, George, John, get back here. Cause I'm, I'm not going to shoot without him present. Cause I don't even know if it's legal to do so, or I want to yeah. sure the right one and stuff I'm like 428. I can do that. So finally I'm waving back down here. He gets down. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, he's at 428. He goes, yeah, just relax a little bit. He's like, it's like a 40 mile an hour crosswind. We're not shooting 428 today. <laughs> hey man, the crosswind got you with that bear. It sure did. Yeah. But there was, there was times where it calmed down and I'm like, I can do it. I can do it now. Slip it I, in. I don't know. It, he, I, looking back, like retrospect, I really appreciate him keeping me level-headed on that. Cause yeah. was, he's like, we're not jump shooting ducks here. This is something that's like a slow calculated type of process. So we're sitting there on this ridge and it's getting darker and it's getting darker and he goes, all right, if we, if they don't move into a spot where we can do something with them by nine o'clock tonight, we're going to back down and go like a mile down where we came from and set up camp just so in case they move throughout the night, they're not coming into our camp at night or something like that, just to give them some space. And sure enough, nine o'clock came. He's just, all right, let's, let's pack this up. We put our packs on and take two steps off that saddle. And I heard a shot ring off and I'm like, what the hell? Like how, it didn't even register to me at first that it was a gunshot because I I couldn't fathom how someone else was in there. Yeah, like that would be the last thing I'd. Think yeah, we are there. so far from anything. Like how how can someone else be in there? There's there's nowhere in here that that a super cub could touch down or anything like that. There was one lake that was seven miles away that apparently someone landed a beaver on, and uh, they shot four times. We still it was like trying to figure out where a sniper shot was coming from because we did we had no idea where it was coming from we just heard rifles cracking off in the distance and all of a sudden all these sheep that we've watched for nine hours are shooting up this bridge into the cliffs and we're like still not a clue where the hell it's coming from so finally we just run up onto the ridge because it's it's blown up anyway now yeah why not <laughs> we see four guys in the bottom in white tyvek suits crawling like they're sheep and shooting from the bottom of this ridge up into the canyon wall. And we didn't know if it hit anything or what was going on or where they came from. It was very disorienting because it's just the last thing that you would expect. And finally they get up into the, the nasties up in the cliffs and they all start shooting up and over this thing. And I'm like, man, we watched these things for nine hours. I had one sub 500 and we just and these guys are just like fight cracking off shots just prayers um, they've got <laughs> four or six times and just just lighten them up kind of thing and it's one person shooting, just shooting at them what kind of guide is like telling them to do that so that's the we they're not guided um these were residents uh, well not i don't think it, it's it's different so it's a it's a native concession and the corporation that owns this chunk of land raffles off two tags inside of the corporation so they're shareholders two shareholders a year can hunt here and ah. the guys that guide on this they have the the lease or the concession guide on it like we never really run into these guys ever so it's never been an issue before until today um so we're watching these rams run out of her life and i'm just gutted 
sick to my stomach like man this we were so close and now we're, we're back to zero and as they're all running up and over there was one that bedded down in the top like right on this little spire and i'm like i don't know why, why would he leave the group that's kind of weird and then i'm like maybe he got hit or he's gut shot or something so we, we kind of talked about that a little bit we took some video of it and like well we got to go back down and get some sleep now it's dark and that was a terrible night of sleep because I'm just replaying this whole day in the back of my head and yep. just not feeling awesome. No one's really talking. It's just a really kind of shitty demeanor that first night after such right. a bright start. But um, we get up the next morning, kind of lick our wounds a little bit, pack back up. We get back up onto that saddle and we look into the bottom and sure enough, you can see where the rocks had slid. And that one ram died overnight and fell 1,500 feet to the bottom. So No way. Yeah. So it was just like, man, we were already gutted and like, now there's a freaking dead ram here. And we were looking at, we were looking at all these sheep and we're like, we could only make one of them legal. And we watched him go up and over. So now we got a sheep that's probably not legal. That's dead in the bottom of this draw and no one's around to be found. So we were kind of like weirded out. What do we do now? So we took coordinates of where it was, marked it on out wise and like took a bunch of video like explaining here here's what happened these guys came yeah evidence blah, 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 blah. so and we're like well we, we can't go down there to go like we can't touch it it's not ours we, I, I didn't know the, what the right thing was to do other than to just document the hell out yeah, of it yeah smart so we start climbing up the spine that goes to the wall that i mentioned earlier and john calls it the highway to hell because it's just loose nasty rock um we work up to the top of that thing we get on this ridge system that they were on probably another thousand 1500 feet above where we were initially set up on them and we look back down this draw and we see four guys coming up the bottom thankfully to come recover their sheep and they did the right thing they we watched them for a while they processed the whole thing took all the meat and whether whether or not it was legal they did the right thing yeah um, so they packed it out and we're like all right that that's done but it's, it's out of our lives. We're, we're moving forward. We're going to find this ram back, hopefully. So we get up on top and we come on this other side. And this is kind of more like what you think of when you think of sheep country on this side. So it's really gnarly. Just everything's loose. Everything's steep. It's 2,200 feet to the bottom of this side. It's just like straight down for the first 500. It's just straight like sloping wall is what it felt like. <laughs> The, the closest comparison that I can think of is like when you drain a pool to go skateboarding in it, Yeah, it's that vertical until the last two feet where it slopes out. Really? And in between all this, there's these little spines and spires that go down and they're hiding stuff. And it's, it's beautiful. It's just wicked looking though. Um, sorry, my dog's whining at me. No. Um, <laughs> it. But yeah. Um, we get up over top of this thing and immediately we are finding sheep. There's sheep everywhere on this side because I don't think anyone's looked over this ridge in I don't know how many years, but it's just sheep paradise over there. There's nine ewes and lambs here. There's four rams here. There's six rams here. There's three up on this side. So we're like, hey, he's here somewhere. We got to find him. And we're looking at all these sheep and I look down straight below me and like 85 yards underneath me, there's two bedded rams just like hold a boulder over the edge and drop it to kill them under you. <laughs> kind of 
I'm looking down at these things. I'm like, John, there's two big ones right here. And he looks up over the edge. He goes, man, that one is close. Like he's real close, but we're not going to do it because he's that close kind of thing. He goes, we need to count eight. It's just, it is what it is, especially from all these different angles. Cause from above, they look really short because it's just the angle. They live sure. what they are from above, but you get below them and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, they look big, but they're not. So um, he's like, we are looking for this one ramp. That's the only one that I'm like dead confident is good to go. So we work back and forth on this ridge, kind of like you and I did on that bear hunt. We're just like moving a little bit, reposition, check these different draws and stuff like that. And we're seeing sheep everywhere. The finding the sheep's not the problem. It's just finding one that's good. And by good, I mean like legal to shoot. We saw, I think we're up to like 22 or 23 respectable looking like impressive rams at this point and not a one of them's legal to shoot so getting kind of like discouraged like where did the where did this thing go and it's like four or five o'clock and we see four rams go all the way to the bottom like two thousand yards away over a mile and shoot up this other side and when i say they don't break stride for 10 minutes they go from 3600 feet to 57 in 10 minutes just motoring up this thing that is insane and not like missing a beat not huffing not nothing they're just shooting up this thing like it's walking and he gets the glass on him and he's like he's the second one he's not not the one in the front he's the second one we found him kind of thing and he goes all the way up to the top of this other side and we're we're on our ridge so we're as high as we can possibly go from this side He's 1,200 feet above us on this next ridge going back over towards the Valley of the Moons. And he beds up on top of that. The clouds actually roll in under him. So we lose him in the clouds for a little while, which was amazing in itself. And I'm like, is there any way to get to him there? He's like, I don't think so. <laughs> like, not without helmets and ropes and stuff like right. that, like climbing experience. So. We, we watched him there forever. We moved around a little bit trying to find a way to get to him. And there's just, there's just nothing. And I'm, I'm willing to climb some weird stuff to make it happen at this point. Like, ah, oh, maybe we can just go around from this side and it'll take us forever, but we can try to like hands and knees our way up into there somehow. I don't know. And he's like, dude, it's just, it's, it's not possible. What we need to do is leave and go all the way back down to where the camp, the two camp trails fork and come up camp left now. So that's like another seven mile loop by the time you're done with it. And I'm like, we're really gonna leave these things. And I was I was kind of like pushing back a little bit. I'm like, we, we can see them here. We know they're here. Maybe they'll drop back down onto this side. He goes, dude, that, that old of a ram has now had some pressure on him and he's gonna go to a place where people can't get to him or he thinks people can't get to him. Right. So. And sure enough, he did. We uh, The clouds cleared and he was not on that peak anymore. And we did not see him come back down on our side. So he went up and over and went into the, the real nasty stuff. So we dropped out of there and uh, moseyed our way all the way back down to the wall, wall tents and uh, kind of got our stuff dried out. We hit, we hit, got hit some nasty weather that day too. And uh, got some food in our stomachs and just dried everything out the best that we could and loaded up for the next morning. Um, we started the next morning, day three, and started kicking back up that same drain, put the waders back on to get up that first stretch of it, 
and went left instead of right this time. And then we had another like three and a half miles once we went left. And it's just a slow kind of gradual climb up this, this uh, drain, which is flowing glacial water again on this side. Yeah. And we get to a point where we hit snow in the glacier and then it's just straight up from there. So we grabbed, I don't know, 2,500 feet probably from the bottom of that drain straight up. And once we got straight up, there was this kind of spot where you could tell there used to be a big glacier there where all the rocks were flat and compacted down. And there was actually ice underneath the rocks that was draining out. It was like gargling. It was really weird. Sweet. So we, he's, we get to this point and he's like, all right, what we're going to do is drop our tent and like water and food stuff right here. Cause we only have a few hundred yards to get up onto this cliff. And once we're on that cliff, we'll be able to tell if hopefully if they're in there or not. Right. Drop all of our stuff. And same thing. We just kind of nose up over this cliff and it's like sharp jagged <laughs> points where you're kind of peeking through this stuff. And we, we get up on that edge and he was always adamant that he wanted to be like the first one to go over and peek. We didn't have three little heads poking over top. Yeah. He goes over that edge and it's not like where he kind of peeks and like noodles back and forth. It was just up and down. He looks back over at me and goes four. And it was the, the four. So he's like, come up here a minute. And we climb up there and we're looking at the situation and it's just straight vertical down from our, our side. They're kind of over on this bench here and it's just rocky, nasty, even worse than before. Like the, the side that they went up on, I thought there was a chance we could get to them from there. From this side, I'm like, I, I don't see a way really. And he's like, yeah, it's steeper, it's nastier, it's, it's loose rock. But the one thing that we have from this side is we're starting above them here because we actually got above them. And we, if we can get up and over top of this and then find our way to get to them on the same side as them, they won't see us as long as we stay behind all these spires. So we, we range them from the top. We were 982 yards from them from the top. And he's like, I think we can cut that distance in half by dropping and getting through these spires. So we start doing it. We kick up over top of this thing and rocks are sliding. Things are tumbling. It's a lot of, we're trying to do it quietly, but like every step you take, the whole side of the mountain kind of gives. Sure. Yeah, I saw some of that in that video where it's like, yeah, there was at one point, I think like an hour into our descent where John looked over at me and he's like, hey, if you can like take a step and then just kind of bounce this rock. So it tries to like, you can tell if it's going to pack down a little bit or if it's just going to go, don't step where it's just going to go. Just try to pack it first and see if it'll hold you. And I started doing that and it helped a lot. But then I got to this point where I, I packed and then I heard crumbling 50 feet this way and 50 feet this way. And the whole thing just gave, and it was like surfing for like, I don't know, 50 or hundred feet, just slow rolling down this hill, but everything's moving with you. Holy crap. <laughs> and which was extremely loud. Like you can imagine how much weight of shale rock is a yeah. hundred feet wide. So it starts sliding with you. And then it would hit this little like pulled up bench spot where it would slow down and stop. But if it didn't stop there, then it's just like this cliff that you drop a thousand feet kind of thing. So it was just super, super tense. And there was a couple moments where I was like, man, I got a kid at home and stuff like this is been <laughs> kind of I made a mistake. Yeah. Kind of like weird thoughts. You know what I mean? You kind of get yourself into a 
not not a pickle, but you get yourself in some spots when you're hunting with any kind of Western hunting where you you mess up a little. Yeah, like it's like, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, this one might have been not such a great choice, but it, in reality, it was fine. But in the moment, I was kind of like, oh man, this is kind of a weird one. <laughs> but we, long story short, we had 450 yards that we had to cut to get to this mythical bench that we thought we could get to and yeah maybe a shot and this is all speculative like that bench looks like it's above them we could probably get a shot it looks about even with them kind of thing it'd be roughly four to six hundred yards depending on how the angle plays out that, that's the one that we're shooting for kind of thing so to go 400 yards and to lose i think it was 1700 feet that we lost <laughs> It was, yeah, it's, it's straight down, but it took us three and a half hours to do that. Cause it's like one trekking pole is extended all the way out and a leather glove on this hand. Cause you're just grabbing something, stabbing with your trekking pole, moving 18 inches, doing it again. And you're falling, everything's bleeding. Your freaking knees are shredded. It's just terrible. Everything about it was just terrible. So we get to this point where we thought we were at the spot we needed to be. And he's like, I'm going to poke my head over and just see if we can see him kind of thing. He pokes his head up and he kind of pans back and forth and he stretches a little bit further out and he's kind of noodle necking around. I'm like, oh, damn it. We've, we've lost him. Pooch. Cause I, right before that I had kicked up a boulder, like, I don't know, 200 pound rock. And this thing went clear to the bottom, rolling and smashing. It sounded like a semi truck hitting a guardrail every time that it hit. And I'm like, we for sure, spooked these things like there's no way that they didn't hear us coming and one thing i didn't know about that habitat is everything is falling all the time like everything's loose right any little shift a switch in the wind can get a rock up or something something silly like it it's always crashing out there so the sheep really don't pay much attention to it we um didn't see him he's like i think we need to go like two little ridges over and i was dead convinced that we were where we needed to be and we screwed it up. So we work another two ridges over. It takes us like another half hour. When I say ridges, I mean like these little bump outs in the side of the same slope yep. and come up over top of this edge and he peeks up and over and just ducks right back down. I'm like, Oh, they're there. And he looks back <laughs> over at me. He goes, they haven't moved an inch. They have no idea we're here. They're sleeping. Yeah. So the four Rams had kind of spread out. Century Ram shot up a little bit. And he could actually see us from where we were, but he was facing the other direction, kind of towards the other ridge. And uh, so we got lucky with that. There was two rams bedded in a T on this one little grassy spot. And the big one was facing away from us, but he was the closest one to us. And then the next biggest one was teed off up against him, like their butt to belly kind of thing. Interesting. And then another one was just bedded. 10 yards above them. So we're getting set up. I ranged him 80 times, spun my dial, I'm checking wind. I'm checking all this stuff with the Kestrel to make sure like I'm. Are you the Kestrel thing out there? That's cool. I everything. Like he's, I'm like, he's not getting away at this point. Um, so we're set up and I, I've got my uh, just light rain jacket on, regular, just kind of lightweight hiking pants kind of thing. And no insulation because even though we're going downhill, like we're sweating, trying to yeah. stay stay afloat as we're <laughs> sliding down this shale surf. And we laid there for like an hour 
waiting for this thing to stand up and I'm freezing at this point because I've I'm covered in sweat. I don't dare get off my rifle to put a jacket on or anything like that. So I'm like rubbing my arms and stuff, trying to keep dexterity in my fingers and stuff. And finally, I'm like the, the wind starts picking up. It's like five six o'clock, and I'm like, we got to find a way to get this thing to stand up. And right as we're talking about that, the top ram, the third one, does stand up, and he takes one step to his left, and he's gone. He like has this little escape corridor in the cliffs and we're like ooh, if he if he goes left we're screwed if he goes right we're fine so that that ram went left and then we didn't see him for like 10 minutes and he popped out a 800 yards up. oh really had a sheet like whole way up that we couldn't see him I'm like oh man he's got it he's got to go right we got to find a way like to get him to stand up and look right insane so, <laughs> we start howling like freaking wolves trying to get these things <laughs> look at and it's windy i don't know they could hear us right away because first john starts howling and then i start howling and then max cameraman starts howling and finally he kind of like picks his head up and looks back and is like i don't give a shit that there's wolves over there they're not coming up here kind of thing so i think it was more just curiosity at that point where they were like ah whatever and he kind of stands up and he looks over his shoulder and turns broadside and the other ram is like even with his hip kind of thing so he's still behind him and obviously you can't shoot that because you don't know what your bullet's gonna rain that thing so i had safety off spun the dial he's 428 yards but it was such a steep angle that it shot for like 390 kind of thing oh cool and um so i told john i'm like i'm on him as soon as he steps free i'm shooting him he's like he has to be 100 percent free i'm like i get it like i'm, I'm ready and he takes one step to the right and he does like, it's the most regal stretch you've ever seen. It's not the, <laughs> the ugly dog stretch where they fucking fucker their butthole out. Yeah. Yeah. Head. They stick their legs out. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> of Omaha, big regal looking Ram stretch. And he took two steps to the right and he got a sheep length clear of the next one behind him. So I'm like, all right, game on. I told John, I'm like, I'm shooting. He goes, he's got to be clear. I'm like, John, plug your ears. I'm shooting. Like, he's clear. And he took one step and just kind of stood there, and the wind just died. Everything just felt awesome. It was like a Perfect. moment frozen time. I squeezed the shot, and as soon as I shot, I could hear the, the report of that round hitting him. Racked another one. By the time I got back in the scope, he was laying there, flip, like kicking his legs. So he dumped right Holy there. Holy cow. Wow. He didn't fall down the cliff. He didn't. That's the big thing because they'll go and they'll go and go, 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 go or all the if, way to the bottom. Yeah. If, if you hit them good and you tumble them, they can roll a long way and turn into nothing but mush, fluffy hamburger meat at the bottom. But, or if you hit them bad, they do the opposite. They panic and they shoot up into the cliffs where you're never going to get them kind of thing. So, so you anchor, I'm guessing you anchored them high. Is that what you were aiming for when you shot them? No, I was just aiming for, where you would always aim kind of thing. Um, and he was quartering towards a little bit. I was shooting a 300 PRC, which is probably more bullet than what you need for one of these things. But by design, it was so that you could anchor them. Yeah, drop them right there. Yeah, and it did just that. So we obviously flipped out and celebrated and a lot of, a lot of bro hugs and freaking out. And we uh, skipped down to him. It took us like a half hour to get to him, even that. 400 yards there that was pretty much straight across just moving 
got up to him and as soon as I came up over that hill it was like the first thing I could see was just the swooping curl sticking up above a rock man epic euphoric is the only way I can describe it like nothing I've ever felt before and it it was kind of weird like the the first time I actually touched him I like had this weird sense of like I don't freaking deserve this like I shouldn't be touching this thing yet right and it, it was weird it was it was I've never felt like that about an elk or anything like that it's always like an awesome inspiring experience when you touch an animal like that yeah but I had this just kind of weird like I just couldn't believe that I was here and I just felt super super blessed to be there so what a crazy incredible. adventure yeah I mean even just to get the tag but then on top of it, like to find, uh, I mean, the guys before you didn't, and yeah. you go out, you find one and get shot, tumbles down the hill. You find another one. You have to literally walk back, what, like seven miles and try to like loop around. It was the same Ram from the first day. It was the only legal Ram that we saw. Really? And so those guys shot a non-legal Ram, the other guys. Unless they saw something that we didn't, but we looked at them for nine hours. Yeah. Right. And you had a guide and they didn't. So like you'd think the guide would have the eye for it. Maybe they, they hired someone that, or maybe they knew, yeah. or they had a, honestly, it could be as something as simple as they had a different angle than us and they were able to see eight, eight rings. I don't think so, but it's not our business, I guess. Yeah, it's, You're doing you. Yeah. And you did good. Yeah. So we uh, got up there and obviously took care of the animal and got, every ounce of meat off of them and then we kind of looked back up at this thing like we don't have camp with us we don't have food with us we're very very low on water and we have to climb back up what we just came down and we didn't get back to our camp until like two o'clock in the morning and it was the nastiest just like everything's cramping everything's falling on you there's boulders falling down and like we're yelling at each other look out here comes another one kind of thing and just the most nasty grind of a pack out that i've ever had and you've had real, some rough ones i've had some rough ones but they were kind of more like mental rough ones where yeah it's a ton of weight on your back with an elk kind of thing but you're not you're not going up a freaking yeah. falling rock wall so <laughs> we got we finally get up to the top and we get up there and our camp's only 200 yards from the top once we get there so it was like we were skipping that last little bit, just like ready to get some food and water in us and then set these tents up. And then all of a sudden it was like 60, 80 mile an hour winds. Jeez. And we couldn't get these damn tents set up to save our lives. So we'd like open the tent up kind of thing. I would lay in it flat, trying to keep weight in it while they're putting poles together. And finally we just kind of got it together. We're just yard sailing everything inside of this tent. We're all just laying on top of each other with all of our freaking gear and slept till like nine o'clock the next morning. So you, you're in that sleep. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were, we were <laughs> freaking ragged at that point. And then we wake up the next morning, we got another five miles to get out at that point, but it's primarily downhill. And like at, at that point we had food and water in us and a dead sheep in our pack. So we care less at that point. So. And that sheep, and I see you post he's coming back soon. Yeah. So they just called me um, the other day and I just got shipping confirmation. I came home with all the meat but to make a sheep legal they actually bring it into the field office and they have to measure it make sure or confirm that it's full curl confirm that it's of age and then um they actually drill 
into the back of the, the horn and put a seal in it, a plug that essentially serializes it like a gun. So there's a, a code or a number that's um, associated to this ram that makes it legal to possess. So that's insane. Yeah. So the, the skull's coming home, the hide's coming home. They're getting shipped to a wildlife gallery. I'll go pick them up in Mount Pleasant in like two weeks. So, okay. And you're going to shoulder mount it? No, oh, full body. <laughs> you're doing a full body? Oh. I don't know where the hell I'm going to put it, but. Um, Is your dog going to freak out? You have to do a full body. You yeah, have to do. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like huge and silly, and I have no room for it. But at the same point, it's, I'd, I'm going to hunt sheep again, no doubt about it. But I don't know that I'll ever shoot one this big again. He's. 39 inches on both sides he's got 13 and 7 8 inch bases like he's just he's just like what you would dream of when you think of a doll sheep so dog it yeah. reminds me of uh remember on talladega nights he's like it's not practical and it's not safe but i do love fig newtons reckless and irresponsible it's reckless and irresponsible that's what I it do, is but i, I do, do love fig newtons that's awesome <laughs> well all right. So Joe, we're, we're, um, we're coming up on time, but a couple one question I have to ask you, and then I want you to point people where they can watch the film of this. Cause it's epic. Uh, it's, it, after this. Yeah, no dude, it's awesome. Uh, but the first question is the, the final question, I guess, is looking back, what'd you learn on this hunt? What's like the one takeaway? I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch, but like, what's one big one. Just don't quit. Like, that's, I think when we wrote that on the wall, cause everyone signs the wall at the end, like it doesn't matter if it gets screwed up on day one or if it takes till the very last day, like just, you have a certain set of time for your hunt. Like we had what, seven days for the bear hunt. We never quit. Same thing with anything in life. You get a certain amount of days in life. Just keep doing things that you love doing and do not quit for anything. That's and that's not something that specifically that I learned here, but it definitely punched that into my brain that this is like just another perfect example. Just do not freaking quit. You don't always have to be very good. No, you don't I'm always have very, to be skilled. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, if you can hang around long enough, sometimes the chips will fall in your favor. You know, <laughs> you hang around the barbershop long enough. You're going to get haircuts sooner or later. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So Joe, where, where can people go and watch this hunt and follow you uh, and the other things that you're doing? They can see some of the, the bucks we put down in Kentucky. How can they, how can they follow, follow you? So the videos on the HuntWise YouTube channel, it's called the peak. Um, most everything that I do YouTube wise is on their channel. And then uh, yeah, just kind of follow the HuntWise stuff. And that's where most of our stuff ends up at. So yeah. And Joe Griffin at Joe Griffin dot com no that's not how instagram works just at joe griffin there's no dot com i think it's joe m griffin joe oh, yeah. m yeah you'll I find it i think he says i think yeah dot like net anyways um joe thank you for for taking the time to tell us the story we've, we've been talking about it and i've been waiting to kind of i knew obviously i'd seen the story we had talked a little bit i got the in reach message uh which was really exciting <laughs> in the middle of the night i woke my wife up in reach messages are the best. They are the best. That's only good thing or really bad. It's either really yeah. good or really bad. As long bad. as they don't start with SOS, they're usually okay. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it as always. Um, we're going to have to get together and do some deer hunting this fall yet. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, thank you again. My pleasure, guys. Good talking yeah. as always. Hey, everybody. Thanks 
for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out. keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd helps cool. everyone out. We'll see you out there.